0: Welcome to the Siski Christian Fellowship Podcast. Our prayer is that the following verse-by-verse teaching of God's Word would bring you closer to Jesus. We're going to be in Psalm 90. Psalm 90 is super, uh, it's been a, a refreshing psalm and an encouraging psalm for me as I've studied through it, and I hope it is for you guys as well. So. Psalm 90 is where we're going to be this morning. So, we as Americans, little fun fact, we spend $14.6 billion every single year trying to reverse the effects of aging. Now, that is a conservative, that's the lowest number I could find. $14.6 billion on cosmetic surgeries, basically is what we spend. Now that's not even including all of the makeup that we buy, all to try to just, uh, you know, I don't buy makeup, just so you know. And if the barn needs painting, hey, paint it. I'm not against makeup by any stretch of the imagination. I'm just saying, we spend a lot of money as Americans trying to uh, defeat age. You know how much $14.6 billion is? If you counted to one billion, One second at a time, you know how long that would take you? 31 years. If you counted to 14 billion, it would take you almost 500 years. That's a lot of Benjamins to spend trying to stay young, uh, searching for the fountain of youth. Uh, But it will never happen. It just won't. Uh, The death rate is 100%. 10 out of 10 people will experience death at some point in their life. It is a guarantee. It's a statistic that we don't like to talk about very much, but it's a statistic that's very real. And we have been actively trying to beat this thing of death as humanity, not just with common, or not common, but with uh, cosmetic surgery. Uh, We have been trying to beat death, as in we've been trying to beat death, like trying to figure out how we can live forever. Scientists and rich dudes have teamed up, and they've uh, come up with a plan. Hey, we're going to try to reverse death. We're going to try to make it to where people can live forever. And their hypothesis is, hey, death, aging, it's a code in our DNA. And if it's a code, well, then the code can be cracked. And if the code can be cracked, then the code can be hacked. And they say, you know what? We're going to put our money and our minds together, and we're going to figure out a way that we can live forever. And this is some of the things that they are up to trying to beat death. Their first idea that we're going to talk about this morning is the harvesting of the blood of teenagers. Now, if you're a teenager, don't run. We don't have any bright ideas this morning. But, But the whole idea is that our blood gets old, and so you need a transfusion with some fresh blood. And so through, you know, I, I'm pretty sure it's, yeah, it, it definitely is. It's like through blood drives. They're not kidnapping teenagers or anything like that. But uh, if you have $8,000 to spare, well, you can go get a young blood transfusion, 8000 bucks a pint. And apparently that will, it doesn't. There's no apparently. It, it doesn't work. But who would have thought all these years? We've been dying and all we needed was an oil change. You know? So young blood transfusions. Also, head transplant. That's, that's pretty high up on the list. They're saying, all right, well, if we can find a body that has a good head and a damaged body, and, and then we can find uh, another body that has a damaged head and a good body, well, we can just find the right circumstances and we can do a head transplant. Did I say that backwards? No. Okay. I say things backwards all the time, so I look to my wife to keep me in check. Uh, but if you find the right combination, right, a, a good head... And a good body, well, why not just sew those things together? And, yeah, I don't think that's going to work either. They're pretty confident that they can get it somewhere down the road. But another thing that they're trying to do, uh, uploading your consciousness to the cloud, Uh, all your thoughts and your emotions and your experiences. All right, I'm just going to live a digital reality. In fact, do you know that right now, Uh, through AI and basically all of your emails and your videos and your text communications, you can make a digital clone of yourself. People are doing this. Uh, They're making a digital clone of themselves so that when they're gone, their family and loved ones will have this digital copy of them to interact with. And through these predictive algorithms, boy, the, the, the digital copy of yourself will answer in a way that you would answer To that, I say, that's just crazy. It's nuts. But that's not even what's being talked about here. What's being talked about here is actually uploading your consciousness to the cloud or a hard drive somewhere in Southern California, probably, so that later it can be downloaded into another body. crazy. What are people thinking? And then you have the, the old standby being cryogenically frozen. Well, they just freeze you. And then at some point, if they come up with a cure for whatever you died from, they can thaw you out. And so there's uh, several companies worldwide that are actually doing this. And for 28000 bucks, you can be cryogenically frozen. There is a one-time, uh, you know, life membership fee that you have to pay up front of $1,200, which I found very, that's pretty funny, a, a membership fee for life for the Cryogenic Freeze Club. Have you guys ever seen, like, the Life Flight stickers? I imagine, like, a little Popsicle, cryogenically frozen club, you know. Uh, but we are trying to beat death. I mean, actively uh, as human beings, but it's never going to happen because death is a result of sin. It's interesting that they have kind of pieced that together that, wait a second, death is something that's coded into our DNA. It's a mutation. And that's exactly what happened when we sinned. The wages of sin is death and we age and we die because of sin. The only One who defeated death was Jesus. He lived a perfect life. He died on the cross, but then he rose from the grave. And because he rose, we someday who believe in him will rise also. And that's the hope that we have. But this is what Psalm 90 is all about. This is the topic that that Psalm 90 uh, really deals with. Is first of all, the eternality of God. God is eternal. Uh, The frailty and the brevity of human life. And then the hope that we have in the future because of who Jesus is. And so this psalm, Psalm 90, it is a psalm of Moses. The superscription tells us uh, right there before verse 1 that it is a prayer of Moses, the man of God. Now, this is the oldest uh, of all the psalms being written by Moses. And there's several ways that we could tackle this psalm this morning. Uh, Like so many passages in the Bible, there are layers to this psalm. We could look at this psalm and it really kind of uh, layered within it are the days of creation. Uh, We're not going to go that direction this morning. Uh, Layered within this psalm is the history of man from beginning to end. We're not going to go that direction this morning. And then we could approach it just historically as Moses wrote it. And kind of glean some application, and that's what we're going to do this morning. But I just want you to know, if if you like to geek out and study through these things in the Bible, man, that's a good study. Check it out. It it really is interesting, as I kind of touched on it. But historically, what was going on uh, during this psalm is that it was Moses' psalm. Moses is the one that wrote it, and Moses has a very interesting perspective. I love Moses. Just the way that his life is divided up, the, the seasons of his life, they're encouraging to us. All these years later. Because if you think about Moses' life, Moses spent the first 40 years of his life being raised, being submersed in nothing but a, a pagan culture. For 40 years, all he knew was Egypt and Egypt's ways and Egypt's gods. Then after that, you guys remember that he he blew it. He murdered the uh, Egyptian. He saw the whole thing going down with the Hebrews and everything else. And he spent 40 more years kind of disconnected, kind of On the backside of the wilderness, seemingly just forsaken, just doing his own thing. But then God showed up to him in the burning bush, and he came back. And he spent the next 40 years of his life leading God's people through the wilderness to the edge of the promised land. And the reason I'm so encouraged by Moses' life is because God is bigger than our past. God is greater than our failures, and it's never too late to serve the Lord. You think about Uh, All the things that hold us up and hold us back. We say, oh, you know, well, these things in my past. I mean, Moses was raised in a total pagan culture. That didn't stop the Lord from using him. Man, Moses blew it big time. That didn't stop the Lord from using him. Moses was 80 years old when he began to lead the people. Isn't that crazy? So if you're here this morning and you're like, man, Pastor Jeremy, I hear you. Life is short, and we're going to talk about that. And, And I just feel washed up and like the Lord can't use me anymore. Man, that's not true. We can be encouraged by the life of Moses, the one who wrote this. Moses, the man of God, and boy, he was a man of God. He experienced the Lord like no other human did, the way he got to, to see the Lord in that way, uh, uh, the glory on the mountain. Uh, but this psalm, the, the, the time period, really would have been when he was leading the nation through the wilderness, when really they were close to crossing over the Jordan River, when they really kind of dug in their heels in uh, Kadesh Barnea and said, we're not gonna cross over. Uh, because of the, the, their, their lack of trust in the Lord, they walked in disobedience. And so they, they really wandered for 40 years in the wilderness. And towards the end of this journey, when this psalm was written, now Aaron was dead Moses' brother Miriam, his sister, was dead. Uh, Moses had smote the rock instead of speaking to it the second time, and he was barred from entering into the the promised land. He was watching a whole entire generation die off in the wilderness because of their unbelief, and so Moses really saw the effects of sin firsthand. He saw Romans 6.23 just playing out in real time uh, there in the wilderness, but Despite Israel's unbelief, despite their sin, the Lord was faithful, and and, and he delivered them into the land of their inheritance, and Moses brought them right up to the edge. He wasn't allowed to go, but he brought them right to the edge, and that's the time period that all this took place. Now, don't feel too bad for Moses, because the Lord took Moses up to the top of Mount Nebo, remember, across from Jericho. And the Lord showed him all of the promised land, all of the territory of the tribes, as really if to say, Moses, man, good job, buddy. You did it. You brought my people all the way. Uh, Now it's time to come home and and, and be with me. And it says that when Moses died, he was 120 years old. But he was not dim in his eyes, and, and his vigor had not left him. He was strong, just like when he was a young man, even when he died. And it says that the Lord buried him. Uh, the people weren't even exactly sure where his grave was. Very special. And by the way, Moses did get to see the promised land on the Mount of Transfiguration. He's where with Elijah and with Jesus and with Peter and James and John. And so uh, don't feel bad for Moses. But Moses, he saw there in the wilderness, man, the effects of sin. He saw the brevity of life. Uh, he saw the power of God and the hope of a glorious future. And that's really what this song is all about. And so verse 1, uh, we'll dive in. And this psalm, we're going to break it up into three different sections this morning. So verses 1 and 2, we're going to talk about uh, the eternality of God, that he's from everlasting to everlasting. Verses 3 through 12, we're going to talk about really the, the brevity of life and the frailty of man because of the curse of sin. And then verses 13 through 17, we're going to talk about the hope that we have for a future. Because of who Jesus is. And so, uh, verse 1. Lord, you have been our dwelling place in all generations. Before the mountains were brought forth, or ever you had formed the earth and the world, even from everlasting to everlasting, you are God. So Moses starts out this psalm by saying, Lord, you have been our dwelling place. What does it mean That God was the dwelling place of his people. They dwelt in him. He was their safety. He was their refuge. He was their shelter. You have to remember that from Moses' perspective, I mean, they were kind of uh, homeless people. They were wandering in the wilderness for 40 years, no home, uh, no neighborhoods. And this wasn't just a a, a group of 50 or 60 people. I mean, this was, I mean, the estimates vary from 2.4 million people. To, I mean, we know that there were 600,000 taken in the census at Sinai, so at least 600,000 people, but no home. And Moses is saying, Lord, you have been our home. You have been our place of safety. You have been our place of shelter. For all of these years, we've been wandering in a land that is not our own. It's been difficult. Uh, there has been troubles but we are headed to an inheritance, Lord, that you have promised us, and we know that it's gonna be good. And even though we've blown it, Lord, we know you're gonna see us through. And that was the way it was. Even though they made mistakes, even though their unbelief, the Lord saw them through as they wandered through that, that wilderness pilgrimage. And I gotta tell you that as I read through this, I can so relate to that. Because really, that's our story. We are wandering through. Uh, A wilderness. We are in a land that is not our own. This world is not our home. We're just passing through. And in this life, as brief as it is, we face difficulties and troubles. We do. But we are headed towards a promised inheritance, and it's going to be great. And we're going to get there Not on our own efforts or strength, but because we trust the Lord. Just like Moses said, Lord, we dwell in you. Jesus said in John 15, 5, I am the vine, you are the branches. Abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. He who abides in me and I in him bears much fruit. For without me you can do nothing. So there's that same principle. Moses says, Lord, we dwell in you. And we, as New Testament Christians, we abide in Christ. Well, What does it mean to abide in Christ? Well, abide simply means to stay or to remain in Christ. Well, how do we do that? Is abiding in Christ some sort of elite level of Christianity that we achieve by our own efforts? No. Uh, The truth of the matter is that we are in Christ when we're born again. That's what it tells us in 2 Corinthians 5.17. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. Uh, We are in Christ When we trust him for salvation, we are in Christ the moment we believe upon him. Yes, we are to be holy as he is holy. Yes, we are to study, to show ourselves approved unto God, workmen who needeth not be ashamed, who rightly divide the word of truth. Yes, we are to pray without ceasing. Yes, we are to be loving and forgiving. But it is the Lord who's going to see us through. We're going to be kept by his power. We're going to reach the finish line by his strength. Uh, John 10, 28 tells us that there's nothing that can snatch us from his hands. First Peter 1 Peter 1:3. this is one of my favorite verses. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who according to his abundant mercy has begotten us again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead to an inheritance incorruptible and undefiled that does not fade away Reserved in heaven for you who are kept by the power of God through faith for salvation, ready to be revealed at the last time. See, as we make our way through this land that's not our home, through this world that is fallen and dark and sad, and remember that you are in Christ, that you are in Him, that you dwell in Him, that He's your refuge, that He's your shelter, that He's your strength, and He's the one who's going to see you through. Uh, ultimately. And so I really love that that Moses opens this up by reminding us, Lord, it's in you. You are our dwelling. And what a good reminder for us today that the Lord is our strength. We abide in him. And as we do, man, he's going to see us through. Uh, The Lord is from everlasting to everlasting. Uh, This is such a key verse in all of the scripture. And it shows us that God has no beginning and God has no end. From everlasting to everlasting, he's outside that time frame of time. He's outside of time. He's outside of space. He has no beginning. He has no end. And I got to tell you that I was so smug as a young man. You know, you stupid Christians, you're so gullible believing in a God. I'll tell you what, I I want to know, and I was that guy, I want to know if you believe in God. Well, where did God come from? And and I would so actively use that as an argument when Christians would come to me and say, Hey, man, let me tell you about Jesus. Let me tell you about God. You need God. I don't need God. You don't even know who God is. Where did God even come from? Well, God always, yeah, that's a cop out. You don't even know. And so I'm just not even going to, to believe. And, Here's what I didn't really take into consideration, is that no matter what camp you are are a part of, if you're a a Christian this morning or if you believe in science and evolution, we all have to come to that place to what was in the beginning. If you believe in evolution this morning, you have to get back to the place to where, all right, well, there's the Big Bang, but where did the Big Bang come from? Well, where did the elements that caused that uh, event come from? Because something can't come from nothing. It's an impossibility. And so I believe that something came from God. There was this thing outside of our creation that made creation, uh, and that is God. And, And see, we just come to this place where we say, well, how can that be? I can't understand. I can't comprehend. And that's the thing, is that we can't understand something that big. It's beyond our scope of reasoning. When we try to approach something as huge as God's eternality through our frail temporal paradigm we say oh man I just don't get it but just because we don't understand it doesn't negate its truth and that's the thing that we have to come back to because there's lots of things that we don't understand that are still true aren't there and and I'd like to remind you that there's lots of of things uh, you know lots of the brightest minds in the past thought that all sorts of things were a, a good idea that actually weren't. Uh, you know, there was a time when we thought that washing our hands was a bad idea. Oh, you don't wash your hands? What are you talking about? Uh, Ignaz, I'm only gonna say his first name because he's a Hungarian doctor and I can't really say his last name, but this is the guy who's credited with saying, all right, it's a good idea for us to wash our hands. See, the practice was, when you were a doctor, is that you would start your day in the morgue doing autopsies, and then you go from the morgue to the maternity ward, and you would examine expectant mothers. And, and all sorts of mothers were dying from uh, it's like childbirth fever or something that I can't remember what the name of it was. But they finally put it together. This guy, Ignaz, is like, you know what? I think that there's a correlation here. Maybe we should start washing our hands. And all of his peers really just they railed on him, like, that's the stupidest thing we've ever heard. See, we thought we had it all figured out. Man, you don't need to wash your hands. There was a time when we thought that the letting of blood was a good thing. Not feeling very good? Hey, let's drain some blood out of you and see how that makes you feel. You didn't, you'd think it wouldn't take them that long to realize that that was a bad idea. But they did it for a long time. There was a time when we thought that if we traveled over uh, 30 miles an hour, that our hearts would stop. It was like, there was a hell of belief. You'd say, man, what's going on? See, we didn't understand, but it, it didn't negate the, the reality of the situation. We don't understand God. We don't understand how he could be from everlasting to everlasting, but that doesn't negate the fact that he is. Uh, If God was small enough for us to understand, he wouldn't be big enough for us to worship. His ways are higher than our ways. His thoughts are higher than our thoughts, Uh, as high as the heavens are from uh, the earth. There's just some things that we can't understand, but just because we don't understand doesn't mean we don't have the capacity to trust. And that's uh, what we're called to do. We're called to trust and we're called to believe. And it's interesting, you know, uh, those of you with little kids will know this to be true. That having kids, there's just something special that the Lord does in my walk with him as I raise my children. There's, there's uh, you know, perspectives that he gives me through that. And I am like, oh man, Lord. I get it. And the other day, you know, I have a five-year-old, and he's uh, very stubborn, and he thinks he knows the way that the world works, and it doesn't matter if it's electronics, or whether he fell asleep on the way to Medford, or what we had for dinner yesterday, or what the direction of home. He's adamant in thinking, man, I know what I'm talking about. And we are out cutting wood the other day. We went and chopped down some firewood, and we were on our way home, and he was adamant that home was down. And not over the mountain. And it's like, son, no, home is we got to go back over the mountain. Remember, we drove over the mountain and came down? And no, and he just gets this place where he's so sure that he's right that he's just in tears and he's upset. And I said, son, listen, we got to talk. We just had this heart to heart. And I said, Abram, uh, am I a good dad? And he looked at me and he said, yeah. And I said, Whew, all right, got that part out of the way. And I said, Abram, you know, do I love you? He said, yeah. Abram, do you love me? Well, yes. Abram, do I tell you the truth or do I lie? I tell you the truth. I said, Well, son, you're just going to have to trust me. I'm telling you the truth. I know you don't understand, but just wait and trust me, and you'll see that I'm right in due time. And all right, we made this agreement. And then as we get to the top of the mountain, it's like, I'm like, does this look familiar? Oh, you were right, Dad. Now, if I could only do that with the Lord. But that's the way it is. Uh, Oftentimes we don't understand. But the Lord doesn't say, hey, I want, no one in the Bible does it say, you need to understand. You need to understand. He says, come and let us reason together. We have a brain. God wants us to reason with him. But there comes a point when it's not about understanding, it's about trusting. And, and that's what it is when this area, and that's where I've come to in my own heart as I've wrestled through this thing like I don't get it. God's outside of our understanding. And that's a good thing because he's huge. So God is everlasting, that first section. Now we'll get into the frailty of man Starting in verse 3. You turn man to destruction and say, Return, O children of men, for a thousand years in your sight are like yesterday when it is past. And like a watch in the night, you carry them away like a flood. They are like a sleep. In the morning, they are like grass which grows up. In the morning, it flourishes and grows up. In the evening, it is cut down and it withers. For we have been consumed by your anger, and by your wrath, we are terrified. You have set our iniquities before you, our secret sins in the light of your countenance, for all our days have passed away in your wrath. We finish our years like a sigh. The days of our lives are 70 years, and if by reason of strength they are 80 years, yet their boast is only labor and sorrow, for it is soon cut off and we fly away. Who knows the power of your anger? For as the fear of you, so is your wrath. So teach us to number our days, that we may gain a heart of wisdom. And so Moses gets into the really the the brevity and the frailty of life. And that first uh, verse in this section, verse 3, is kind of misleading in English. Because it says, you turn man to destruction and say, return, uh, O children of men. But that word for destruction uh, is dekah, which means dust, literally. It means crushed matter. And it carries with it the idea of man was made from dust, right? This this phrase that Moses says, uh, turn man to destruction and say, return, O children of men. This is this is not necessarily a call to repentance. This is really a reference to the curse of sin. Uh, Genesis 13, 19 uh, is, is God kind of laying out That whole section, really from, I think it's about 14 to 19, but it's it's God laying out the consequences of sin there in the garden. This is the curse of sin. The wages of sin is death. And it ends with, from dust you came, to dust you will return. See, life is temporary because of sin, because the wages of sin is death. And that's what Moses is saying here, Uh, basically that we'll return to dust. Uh, you turn man to dust and say, return, O children of men. That's the way that it goes. It's it's Genesis 3.19 uh, right there. Um, But before sin was, death wasn't. There was no death. There was no sorrow until sin entered into humanity in the garden. Uh, It was just God and the garden and man hanging out in the cool of the day, enjoying fellowship. Amazing. Amazing. But when sin entered, so did death. And really, I believe that that is why, as human beings, we we wrestle with death. Even as Christians, see, man, I don't like the idea of death. Why? Because we weren't created to die. There's a part of us that says, "Man, death just it throws me for a loop because it wasn't something we were created to do." And you know this to be true when you look in the mirror. The face looking back at you is like, there's this point when you're young, you're like, I can't wait to get a mustache. I cannot wait to get. But then as the mustache starts to gray and, and, and the wrinkles start to come in, there, there's a, a portion. Mark my words, those of you who are not there yet. You look in the mirror, and you say, I'm not that old. How is it that I'm, in my brain, I'm not that old. But when I look at myself in the mirror, it's because we weren't really created to die. And that's why we, we wrestle with this, this whole thing. And Moses here is saying, listen, this is the curse. From dust you came, to dust you will return. Life is brief because of sin. And he goes through to explain kind of the brevity of life, how it's a thousand years to the Lord, but it's just a day that life is like looking back at yesterday. Nothing really reminds us of how brief life is than looking back on our past, Have you ever said those words? Uh, Man, where did the time go? Where did the time go? And again, the older you get, the more you say those words. But it's like, where did the time go? It goes by so quick. And I find myself telling stories and saying, oh yeah, a couple years ago this happened. And I'm like, wait a second, that wasn't a couple years ago. That was like 10 years ago or 15 years ago or 30 years ago even I can say now. Some of the stories that I tell, I'm like, that was 30 years ago. What's going on here? Uh, Life goes by. It's like... Man, it's like looking at yesterday. And Moses here, he touches again on God's eternality by saying, man, a thousand years to us is just, it's like a, a day to the Lord. And there's a story about a, a, a little guy who was having a conversation with God. And he said, God, is it true that a thousand years to us is like a, just a second to you? God said, yes. Yes, it is. And the little boy said, wow, that's amazing. And he said, God, is it true that a, a million dollars in our world is just like a penny to you? And God said, yes, that's true. Wow, that's so amazing. And the little boy said, Lord? Said, yeah. He said, can I have a penny? And the Lord said, Absolutely. Give me just a second. <laughs> it's a thousand years, I know. Uh, but life is so short. And Paul describes life as a vapor. You know, I- I've described this before. You know those squirt bottles that you get that you like water the plants or wash the windows. Don't water the plants with the window washing solution. That's not good. But it's got the settings. It's got the you know terrorize everybody in the house with the squirt gun setting, and it's got the the mist setting. That's the vapor that Paul talks about. Life is a show, and then it's, it's over. And Moses goes through to kind of describe what that's like. It's like looking back at yesterday. It's like a watch in the night, uh, that four-hour period where the guards would take watch. Uh, time goes by quick when you sleep. It's like sleep. So I, I tell my kids, man, if you go to sleep, the, the trip goes much quicker. Uh, that's it. You can time travel in the car. You just fall asleep and you wake up and you're there. But life goes by quick when you're asleep. It's like a flood, and it's swept away in a moment. It's like grass that flourishes today, but it's gone tomorrow. Uh, and again, it's all a result uh, of the curse. And Moses here says, Man, you got 70 years, 80 if you're lucky. And that's sobering. It really is. And that's generally, Moses lived to be 120. Today, uh, you know, the highest average in the world, you'll find in Hong Kong, they have the highest life expectancy at 85. Uh, the lowest life expectancy is in Chad, their life expectancy is only 53 years old. Uh, The United States is is 47th on the list, and we come in right at 79 years is the life expectancy uh, for us. So it's right there. So 70 years, 80 years at the most, it goes by quick, and in the end it's a sigh. All the labor, everything we've done, everything that we've worked for, and what? what? What's here in this world? It really is nothing. And so Moses says, God, I recognize the brevity of life. Teach us to number our days. Man, there's so much wisdom in that. Teach us to number our days. We only have so much time on earth. We only have so much time, period. Time is the most precious commodity that we have, and there's only so much. So what does it mean to teach us to number our days? It's to be aware that life is short, that time is a finite resource, It reminds us, what are we investing that resource in? What are we doing with our lives? What are we living for? What is our purpose? If you knew that today was the last day of your life, what would you change? What would you do differently? Who would you call? It causes us to evaluate how we're living our life, and it causes us to look to the future. Where am I headed? Where's my hope? Is my hope in heaven? It causes us to to remember, hey, Man, God has made us a, a, a promise. We're to be living for heaven. He said, I go to prepare a place for you. In my Father's house are many mansions. If it wasn't that way, I wouldn't have told you, Jesus said. I'm not lying to you. And that place that he's gone to prepare for us is described like no eye has seen, nor ear has heard, nor has even entered into the heart of man the things that God has prepared for those who love him. And that's to say that heaven is so rad that there is no reference point. We can't even imagine how awesome it's going to be. It's a place where there's no death, no sorrow, no tears. That's what we are to look forward to. That's how we're to live our lives. Looking for Jesus and longing for heaven. And when we number our days, man, that is is what uh, that means. Lord, help us to be mindful that life is short. To be mindful, what are we investing our lives in? And and cause us, Lord, to live uh, for your return. And for uh, your kingdom. And these last few verses really are, are the hope of heaven. Um, the millennial kingdom, if you're looking at it from the, the, the layer of man's history. Uh, the day of rest, if you're looking at it from the creation. Uh, verse 13 says, return, O Lord. How long? And have compassion on your servants Oh, satisfy us early with your mercy that we may rejoice and be glad all of our days. Make us glad according to the days in which you have afflicted us, the years in which we have seen evil. Let your work appear to your servant and your glory to their children. And let the beauty of the Lord our God be upon us and establish the work of our hands for us. Yes, establish the work. Of our hands. And so Moses' heart was, Lord, I just want to be with you. I want to be in your presence. I-, I want to be where you are. Uh, return, O oh Lord, how long. Now, for us, boy, isn't that the cry of our heart? Lord, how long? Return, come quick. I don't know about you guys, but I, I think it would be wonderful if the Lord returned today. And as we study through the, the scriptures, man, we know that it could be any time. And in fact, Jesus told us we're always to live our lives, to be ready. ...for his return. We're always to be ready. We're to be those who say, Lord, come quickly. I'm ready. I'm looking for you. And that's what's being said here. Again, this speaks to the millennial reign, a time when Jesus comes to rule and reign and make all wrongs right. Uh, But really, it it, 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 it speaks to us to keep our eyes on that time that the Lord is coming. Because by death or rapture, we're all going to stand before Jesus sometime very soon. I'm praying for the latter, personally. I would much rather be raptured than hit by a bus or whatever. Wouldn't it be ironic if I actually went out getting hit by a bus? Because I say that all the time. I hope I don't. Well, and if I do, I hope it's quick. But anyways, I just I just hope the rapture comes. Honestly, that's my that's my my prayer. Uh, but but we're to be like Moses said, looking for the Lord, living for His kingdom, because we have that hope that Jesus. Is coming, And he says, satisfy us early with your mercy. See, Moses understood that there's no satisfaction that we can gain in this world that will be eternal, that will be long-lasting. There's brief things that we can enjoy here, but nothing can really absolutely satisfy us in the way that God can. No amount of money or fame or romance or pleasure or success, none of those things. They're all fleeting. And many have tried to be satisfied in this world, and all have failed. Every single one. Because when we thirst for the things of this world, we find ourselves thirstier. When we hunger for the things of this world, we find ourselves hungry. But when we long for the Lord, man, he satisfies us. That's a promise, and that's a reality uh, that I know. And so we're satisfied in God's mercy, in his faithful covenant, um, and his goodness to his people. And then Moses looked forward to the days of joy that outnumbered the days of sorrow. He says, Lord, give us uh, days of joy that outnumber." all of our sorrow make us glad according to the days in which you have afflicted us the years in which you have seen evil so lord let, let our days in our future be uh, at least you know the awesome days as numerous as the days that were a drag and there's truth to that but the, the reality of that is opened up for us in the new testament where paul says in 2 corinthians 4:17 he says for our light affliction which is but for a moment worketh for us a far more exceeding and eternal weight of glory. See, all the affliction, the difficulty that we experience here, man, is for a second in comparison in the scope of eternity. Paul says, man, it's it's not a big deal when you look at it that way. Uh, and then we enter into the glory of the Lord for all of uh, eternity. And he finishes out this psalm, you know, as he says, Lord, man, I, I long to be, I'm looking for you, I want to be in your presence, um, uh Lord, we're looking forward to uh, to heaven. We want to be satisfied in you and you alone. We're living for your kingdom. Then he, he, he looks, he says, Lord, bless the work of our hands. That's kind of how he ends this psalm. After he, you know, considers the enormity and the eternality of God, the frailty and the brevity of man, as he's considering the hope of his future, there's that reality, like, I'm not there yet. I'm still here. In the meantime, Lord. While I'm here, bless the work of my hands. While we're in this fallen world, while we're living in these bodies of sin and death, help us to live rightly for you. Help us, Lord, to number our days. Help us, Lord, to keep our eyes fixed on you. Uh, Lord. That's our prayer as well. Again, the correlations are many. We would say, Lord, while we're here, help us bless the work of our hands. And so God is eternal, And he's huge beyond our comprehension. Life is frail. We know it to be so. But the future is our friend if Jesus is our Savior. And that's the whole point. See, as we study through this and we consider just how quick life is and really how the things of this life are so fleeting, it causes us to ask those questions. Well, well, what are we living for? What direction? We're all in this pilgrimage of life together. But what is your destination? Where are you heading? Do you have direction? Do you have hope? If you don't, man, change that today. Because our hope is in Jesus. And this is such a reminder for us that this world is fleeting away. It's so easy to get sucked into the cares of this world. Mortgages and tuition and careers, and those things are good. Family. But don't forsake living your life for what's eternal, for what's good and for what's right. Live this life for the one to come. Uh, It's super important. And don't let anything hold you back. Don't be held up by your past mistakes. Don't be held up by where you are age-wise in your life, but live your life looking towards heaven, looking towards Jesus, ready for his return. And if you're here this morning again and you don't have that hope, if there's a question, man, I don't know where I'm headed, to be honest with you. I'm not sure what happens when I die. I want you to know this morning that you can have the absolute assurity of salvation. That you can know without a shadow of doubt that you can become a Christian, that you can have your sins forgiven. And that's what the cross is about. See, this life is fleeting, but this life is not all there is. That's the good news. That's what we leave this place this morning rejoicing. Although we get 70, 80 years maybe on this earth, man, it's just a blip on the radar in all of eternity. And eternity with Jesus is going to be amazing. And so I want to encourage you, if there's a lack of hope, trust the Lord. The Bible tells us that if we believe in our heart and confess with our mouth that Jesus is Lord and God raised him from the dead, then we're saved, we're born again. The wages of sin is death. But that verse doesn't end there, but the free gift of God is eternal life. Life everlasting. And I don't know about you guys, but I've been really grateful to kind of just have my perspective adjusted Again, it's easy to get stuck in this world and and to be living for these things. But it's so good to just step back and say, that's right. Lord, help us to number our days. And that's my prayer for us as we leave. That we'd be living for his kingdom and not our own. And Jesus, when he instituted communion, said, hey, do this in remembrance of me. There's this thing where we need to remember. And it's so good to remember what Jesus has done. It, It puts things into perspective for us that as we come to the table and we, we hold the cracker and we eat it and we remember that Jesus died on the cross in our place, as we take in the juice, as we drink it, we remember that our sins are washed away by his blood. It changes our perspective. We say, that's right. It's not about this world, this one's passing away, but we're entering into the next one because of what Jesus did for us. And so as you take in the elements this morning, take in that reality and be encouraged. Man, what a good God we have. When he created us, we shook our fists at him and we said, we're gonna do things our own way and we brought death upon ourselves. But in his kindness and grace and mercy, he said, I'm gonna pay that debt for you so that you can live forever with me. And that's what we remember when we come to the table of communion. So Lord, teach us to number our days, remind us of our frailty, but encourage us in your eternality and in your grace and in your mercy and in the future and the hope that we can have because although this life is fleeting, Lord, you've gifted us eternal life through your son, Jesus, who lived a perfect life on this earth, died the death of a sinner, but then conquered death by raising from the grave. And Lord, you said that because he rose, we would rise also. So Lord, as we take this all in this morning, we just are grateful, we're thankful that even though we're flawed individuals, you love us and you're gonna see us through Lord, we're grateful that we're just passing through this world. We're grateful that although it's brief and difficult, that when we trust you, Lord, we enter into eternity, which is going to be marvelous. And so we remember what you've done for us and the implications that that has on our lives, Lord. And we thank you this morning as we take communion. In Jesus' name. We hope you've enjoyed listening to this teaching of God's Word presented by Siskiyou Christian Fellowship. We pray it's blessed you and given you a greater understanding of the Bible. To learn more about us, visit siskiuchristianfellowship.com.